Good morning. Keep going. You're good. <laughs> good morning, everybody. Hopefully you are doing well. Uh, hey, if we have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here. We interrupted you too early, right? You guys were all sharing, sharing stories, flipping through your phones. Did anybody pull out like cat pictures? This is my cat. Little schnookums or whatever. Anyways, <laughs> hey, my name is Dan and I am excited uh, to continue our series today called Chain Reaction. We are talking in this series about what it means to to uh, be a part of this chain reaction discipleship model that Jesus has laid out for us, what it looks like for us to, to pour ourselves out into others and to teach others what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to allow others to pour into us as well so that we can learn from, from somebody who's more mature in their relationship uh, with Jesus. If you are joining us online, I want to say a very special welcome to you. I want to encourage you share this message. I believe that God wants to not only encourage you, but one of your friends uh, and family members as well. Hey, in this series, uh, we are looking at practical ways that we can do this, practical ways that we can uh, fulfill the mission that Jesus has called each and every one of us to do. As we are here, basically smack dab in the middle of summer, maybe kind of coming to an end, we have all probably gone on a little vacation, right? Maybe a little road trip, something like that. If you haven't, maybe you're planning on something uh, coming down the pipeline for the end of the summer. You're looking to get out with some friends and some family. But what do we end up doing when we go on these vacations? If we're users of social media, we take pictures and we post them on social media. Maybe you don't use social media, but what you do is you still take pictures that you share with other people. And maybe you are a person, you're like, look, I hate cameras. I don't want there to be any evidence of like what happened. I'll tell the stories myself of whatever I feel like sharing. And we tell the stories. We share the pictures. We post the pictures. We share those highlights. But those highlights, they don't always tell the full story. They don't always give us the full accurate picture of what happened. Because a lot takes place on a vacation or a road trip or something like that, that the picture itself or the few pictures or the one story that we tell, it doesn't give us the whole picture. You see, my wife and I tend to go to Palm Springs once or twice a year. We, we like going out there where it's like way too hot for no reason. We go out there, we have a good time, and, and, and if you look on, on my wife's social media, if you go back about five or six years, you'll see a picture of us in Palm Springs. Now, what that picture uh, doesn't show, like it shows us, I think we're sitting by the pool or something fun, right? But what that picture doesn't show is it doesn't show that as we were trying to, to get ready to leave for that trip, that our oldest son starts throwing up all over the house as we're trying to leave and we're leaving him with my, with my mom. That picture, it doesn't show you that, that my truck at the time ended up dropping a transmission, which was a Chevy, by the way. Anybody, anybody who's curious, is a Chevy, dropped transmission. That picture, it also doesn't show that while we were there, I ended up um, getting heat exhaustion, ending up in the emergency room on this trip. That picture doesn't show that we ended up cutting our trip short and going home because it ended up being more stress than a vacation for us. See, it was a highlight. That picture was a highlight. The picture that we share, those are highlights, but they don't tell the entire story of the trip or the vacation. There's lots of bonding that happens. There's lots of fun stories and cool stories and, and, and amazing conversation, connection with loved ones. But there's probably also frustration that happens. 
My wife and I also got into a pretty tense argument while we were sitting in traffic uh, on that vacation. But the pictures and the highlights that we share, they do not tell the whole story. And the same is very true with Jesus and his disciples. See, the Bible gives us these different highlights. It shares specific things about Jesus and his ministry. Now, I want to be really clear. I'm not saying that the Bible itself is missing something. The writers of the Gospels wrote down exactly what it was that the Holy Spirit prompted them to write. But we also don't want to ignore the fact that at the very last verse of the Gospel of John, John 21, 25, John says that, that not everything that Jesus did could be written down. And if everything was written down that Jesus did in books, the world could not contain the amount of books that it would take. John writes that. But the, the highlights that we see in the Bible, they don't give us the full picture. They don't tell us every little detail of what was happening in Jesus' uh, in Jesus's relationship and his discipleship relationship with those that were closest to him. There was a lot that was happening that we just don't know. Just like any vacation we go on, just like any road trip, any story that we tell, we share a highlight, but it doesn't give us the full picture. And when it comes to the stories of Jesus, a lot of us, whether you have grown up in church, been around church just a little bit, most of us have heard some of these highlights. We know some of the big picture stories or images that were given about Jesus. We know that Jesus fed 5,000 people on just a little bit of food. We know that Jesus did all kinds of healings. We've heard that, that Jesus walked on water. We, we've heard that Jesus has calmed a storm. We hear all of those different things. And normally in church, what we do is we take a look at one of those highlights. We take a look at one of those highlights and we say, hey, how, can, how does this highlight apply to my life? How can we practically apply the biblical principles that we're seeing? How can I be more like Jesus? We look at those things. But not today. Today, that's not what we're gonna be doing. In fact, we're not even gonna be looking at the Bible, so I hope you brought a dictionary with you. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. We're, I'm just kidding. We're, we're actually going to be looking at the scripture, but we're not going to be looking at one of these highlighted miracle stories. We're not going to be looking at one of those today. Today, we're going to be looking at some of those in-between moments. We're going to be taking a look at the things that happened with Jesus and his disciples between the cities that they visited, between the miracles, in the middle of the journey, the things that the highlights just don't tell us. Those are the things that we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at the simple fact that Jesus was pouring himself out into his disciples in the margins of these miracles that we see in scripture. See, today we're going to be looking uh, at the book of Mark. You can go ahead and throw all those verses up if you'd like. Like I said, we're going to be looking at kind of some in-between verses, if you will. And as we, as we take a glance at the book of Mark, what we see is we see Jesus comes on the scene, we see that he gets baptized, we see that he goes out and that he gets tempted. Then we see he goes and he calls his disciples, which we tend to talk about a lot. Jesus, the calling of his disciples, amazing stories that are in there, and we start to see some miracles take place. And then we see kind of this in-between verse here. Mark chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. It says, they went across the lake, which was the Sea of Galilee. It says they went across the lake to the region of Jesserines. Just this 
A little bit of a, little bit of a verse that tells us about some, a little boat trip that they took. Then we start to see more highlights. We start to see these highlights about what Jesus did. We see him casting out demons. We see him heal the woman with the bleeding issue. We see him raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. Then we see in Mark 6, uh, 45, they hop back on the boat. It says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. Now, from there, we see a little bit more. We see more miracles happening. This is where we see Jesus walk on water. An amazing, an amazing uh, miracle that I just can't imagine what was going through the, the hearts and the minds of the disciples in that moment. We see from there, through Jesus' journey with his disciples, that they end up heading north. Mark 7, 27 says this. It says, Jesus and disciples went on to the, village, to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. Then it says in verse 31, it says, Then Jesus went to the vicinity of Tyre, which was almost 60 miles north of um, Caesarea Philippi. Then it says they went over to Sidon, which was about a 25-mile trek. Then it says they went back down to the Sea of Galilee, which was almost 60 miles, and they went into the region of the Decapolis, which was this, this group of 10 cities that was just kind of southeast of the Sea of Galilee. Then in Mark 10:1 it says this. It says, then Jesus left that place and went into the region of Judea across from the Jordan, which was 60 miles south of the Decapolis. Now I want us to understand something. In those last three verses, these are very loaded verses, in those last three verses, there's over 200 miles of, of travel that are represented just in those three verses. Now imagine with me for just one second, you're on this journey with Jesus and the disciples. Think about what they were talking about. Think about the type of conversations that they were having in that moment. Think about, let's go back to, to Jesus walking on water. Can you imagine that that was not something that just happened and like blew over? I feel like we can obviously assume that the disciples probably for months had a lot of questions. They're like, okay, Jesus, look, like we understand you're telling us like you're the son of God, but talk to us about gravity because you walked on water. How many times did that come up? How many different uh, miracles did they see that they had to, to wrestle with? How many lessons did they learn that they had to keep asking Jesus question after question after question? Imagine the time spent on these journeys. We see in Scripture that Jesus spent about 85% of his time walking, 10% of his time on a boat, and then only about 5% on a donkey. These guys were with each other day in and day out. They were, they were learning from one another. They were asking Jesus multiple questions. They were camping. They were sharing meals together. Imagine how much they learned. Imagine all the things that were happening, the bonding, the deep conversation, the frustration, the arguments, the tension, but most importantly, the discipleship that was taking place of Jesus pouring himself out. Why do we look at these somewhat random verses about Jesus' travel with his disciples? Because I want us to understand something. I want us to understand that Jesus' relationships with his disciples, they went far beyond the highlights that we read. There's so much time spent. And for us as followers of Jesus now, in 2021, our discipleship relationships should go far beyond Sundays. 
They should go far beyond what we are doing here at Grace Church. I want us to understand, church, today that discipleship happens in the margins of ministry programs. Discipleship is happening on a regular basis outside of Sundays, outside of connect groups, outside of serving on first impressions or our safety team or whatever. Discipleship is happening in the margins of church program. You see, to be a disciple, what does that mean? It means that we are learning on a regular basis to be just like Jesus, that we are attempting to grow in his character and in his competencies. That's what it means to be a disciple. And one of the ways that we do that is by modeling our lives after the life of Jesus. And one of the things that we see Jesus do is we see him spend 75% of his time with his close disciples, 25% of his time with others. So if we're going to model our lives after the life of Jesus, then we need to start spending time with others. Now, if we're also going to model our time, what does, that, what does that actually look like to model our lives after Jesus? We can't just get a group of our close friends and start hiking all over Southern California and camping and eating and, and just having like a good time and walking all over the place and becoming disciples. I mean, you could do that. It's a little weird. You are safe here, so we're not going to judge you, but it's a little weird if you were to do that. These disciples, all they had was pretty much the clothes on their back, and so you can sell all your belongings, and you could travel around with all your friends, and you can live a life like that. But when reality sets in, in 2021, we've got responsibilities, jobs, kids, friends. We volunteer. We're on that softball league. we got all kinds of things that we're doing. And how do we practically do this? How do we practically spend time in these discipleship relationships? It starts first and foremost by living life together. It's not rocket science, but it starts with us living life together. We need to get out of our comfort zones and we need to get involved intentionally in the lives of the people that are around us. See, Jesus modeled this part for us as well. We see when he goes to call all of his disciples, he steps in to their world. He goes to their job on their turf in their city. And he goes into their homes and he eats with them and he, he goes to their parties and sleeps at their house and he invites them in to this journey of discipleship. This is exactly what we should be doing as well. We should be living life together and going out and intentionally getting and entering the lives of others. In my late teen years, there was a, I wasn't living for, for Jesus at the time, and there was a guy that I'd met. His name was Chris Harrell, and he was the junior high pastor at a church that I would go to every once in a while. Well, he ended up not living very far from me, and so what he started doing, just being like an annoying youth pastor, he starts knocking on my door and like inviting me places. It's like he wanted to be my friend. I'm like, this is weird. But he started to invite me places. He showed up at my front door, would knock on the door and invite me out, out to lunch. He'd invite me to go play golf. He'd invite me to go snowboarding and to just hang out, run errands. He's like, hey, man, I got to do this. I got to do that. Do you want to come with me? I'm like, sure. What I didn't recognize at the time was that Chris was, was entering into my world and he was inviting me in to this discipleship relationship. We ended up spending all kinds of time together and he started to teach me what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, what it meant to be a disciple, what it meant to, to reflect Jesus in word and in deed. He started teaching me these things. 
And before I knew it, exactly what, what he was intending to do is what was happening. He was fulfilling the great commission, the mission that God has called all of us to, which is to go out and make disciples. I ended up changing a few things in my life and giving my life to the Lord through that relationship and friendship with Chris. He was being the church. He was doing exactly what it is that we're all called to do. He was being the church. The church is the primary environment where discipleship should be taking place. This is the primary place that it should be happening. But I want you to understand something. The church is not a building. We say this all the time, but I really want you to get this. The church is not the building. The original word, uh, the, the word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia. And what that means is it means the people called out. It means the gathering. It means the congregation. It means the assembly. It means us. It means it's you. It means that it's, it's me. That we are the church. And this is where discipleship happens. You see, this physical location, we've got an address. If you, if you Google Grace Church, well, the address will come up for this building and this location. But we, Grace Church, don't have an address because it's us. And this is where discipleship should be happening. We should be gathering together. We should be teaching one another what it looks like to read Scripture. Let's talk theology. But most importantly, let's learn what it means to be a disciple. Let's pour ourselves out into others and allow others who are mature in their walk with Jesus, who are more mature in their walk with Jesus than, than us, to pour into our lives. This is the mission of the church. Pastor Jesse gave a, an amazing message last week, and he, he brought this verse up, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. If you'll go ahead and throw that on the screen. We are memorizing this verse. So feel free, pull out your phone. If you don't have a Bible with you, take a picture, whatever it is that you need to do. But this verse right here, this is the verse that we are memorizing because this is our mission, Grace Church. Not just as Grace Church, but as the global church. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is our mission. It doesn't say therefore come together and gather here. It says therefore go and make disciples. And that should be happening here within the church. We've already established that. So here's what that means. That means that it is our mission to get outside of the four walls of this church or of this building and to spend time with the people who are sitting next to us in this building. Look around. Seriously, take a look around. You see the people that you're looking at? Did anybody make weird eye contact? Anybody like single? They're like, hey... It's kind of awkward because some of us don't know each other. But it is our mission to step outside of the four walls of this building and be involved in the lives of us, those around you here at Grace Church. This is what it is that we are supposed to be doing. See, church programs are great. 
We hope that you enjoy coming on Sundays. If you're not connected in a connect group, we would love to see you do that. If you're not serving in the kids' ministry on on the First Impressions team, we want to encourage you to do that. Our church programs are are awesome, in my opinion, but I want to be very clear about something. There's nothing really special about them. All we're really doing is we're creating environments for you to connect with other believers here within Grace Church. That is the point. That is the point because we should be living life together, not just inside of our programs, but outside of our programs. True discipleship, it does take place within some of our programs, but a majority of what you're gonna see is that discipleship happens in the margins of church programs. When Chris Harrell invited me uh, to just live life alongside of him, like I was saying before, we ran errands together. I'd I'd help him do things. I remember he had to get new tires on his truck, just random things. We just spent time together. And it was through those times and through that relationship that I ended up falling in love with Jesus. It was outside of any ministry program. It was outside any sermon that I heard. It was spending time and living life. And if it wasn't for Chris Harrell following uh, the, the prompting of the Holy Spirit and doing his best to fulfill the mission, I likely wouldn't be in ministry today. I stand up here even now thinking about it. I get emotional about it because I remember 22 years ago when I met Chris, he invited me to get up on stage one time and pray in front of about 30 people, and I was terrified. I was like, you, you want me to pray? Oh, man, oh, what are they going to think? Everybody's going to judge me. I think I'm going to throw up. I'm just so terrified and nervous. Chris Harrell also gave me the first opportunity to actually preach. And I, I'm able to do this today because Chris Harrell continued to pour his life into me, and like I said, even 22 years later, continues to pour his life into me. And it started in the margins of church programs. It didn't start on a Sunday morning. It started out of sheer relationship. You see, in the margins of Jesus' miracles and teaching and his public ministry, we see that he spent time. He modeled this for us by spending time with his disciples and living life with his disciples. He was journeying with them together. He was hiking and boating and walking and living these these experiences with these disciples, and pouring his life out into them and showing what it meant for them to pour their lives out into somebody else. You see, when we do this, we have to do more than just living life together. We have to go beyond the surface. And this is scary for some. For some of us, it's easy. For some of us, we're like, I don't want to talk about the weather. Like, as soon as I meet somebody, I want to ask, what's your deepest, darkest secret? Like, I'm not going to judge you. Like, some of us love that. I'm like that. I'm, I'm really awkward in the, in the conversations that are just like real surfacey, like, how are you? How, how's everything with that? No, I, I like deep, meaningful, rich relationships, but you can't do it too fast, right? You don't want to like, just like meet somebody and just like share like all your dirty laundry. Like that's not good either. They're going to push you away. They're going to judge you and like so on. But for some of us, it's easy to go beyond the surface, but for others, it's not. It's not easy for us for a multitude of reasons. Maybe you've been burned before. Maybe you've opened up to somebody in the church and and you've been hurt. That makes 
sense. You know, the last, the last 18 months or so, we've, we've been encouraged to be uh, more disconnected and stay in more isolation, and that has, has, I'm sure, caused difficulty as well for some people. But it's easy for us today, especially with technology, it's easy for us to, to stay connected to people from a distance. It's easy for us to have these Facebook friends and to, to have Instagram followers. It's so much easier to do that or maybe have these Zoom calls and, and think that we're maintaining these relationships. It's no substitution. Social media and those things, it's no, there's no substitution for what it means for us to actually stay connected. A recent study that I came across said that on any day of the week, the average American spends three hours a day looking just at their phone. Not anything else, but just their phone. Now, I think the number's probably way higher than that, but that's the study, that's the study that I found. And it's not good for us. It's not good for us to, to always be stayed, stayed plugged into to social media. I'm not bashing social media, but I want us to understand something. So Sherry Turkle, she does a lot of research in neurology and psychology and the, effect, the effects of social media and technology and how they are actually uh, diminishing and rewiring our brains in some different, some different ways. And one of the things that she discovered is that our brains are actually not created and they're not conditioned for uh, intense isolation or for information overload. Okay, a lot of the, the social media sites and stuff that, uh, that a lot of us probably use, they use algorithms to kind of keep us connected, to, to, to trick our brains into give, giving us little shots of dopamine to keep us kind of connected and tied to this information overload. Well, our brains aren't wired for that. Our brains are, are wired for true connection, not this false sense of information overload and isolation. And what happens in her research, what uh, Sherry Turkle discovered was that uh, the, the prefrontal cortex of our brain actually starts to shut down when we spend too much time on social media or when we spend too much time in isolation and not connecting with other people. Our brains and our prefrontal cortex do this thing that's known as cocooning, where we actually start to shut down, our brain starts to shut down to like the real world and we kind of get laser focused on the negative. And the, the scariest part about this is people who are addicted to social media or have experienced a lot of isolation, their prefrontal cortex looks very similar to somebody who is dealing with a very deep sense of depression and even suicidal thoughts. That's what can happen to us when we're not actually connected. But there's good news. There's good news. The good news is that in her research, she has discovered that face-to-face that -face contact, face-to-face -face actual human interaction and connection can actually reverse the cocooning that takes place in our prefrontal cortex. That it can actually build a sense of empathy and, um, and sympathy in people who are otherwise emotionally maybe kind of dry. In her research, she discovered that it forms deep, deep connections that actually fire off all sorts of different chemicals in our brains. Um, that that are, Essentially, our brains are wired to do this. We are wired to be connected to other people. And again, I'm not bashing social media. I'm on social media. But the reality is this. Social media wants to, to continue to convince us that we're connected globally, right, through our screen. But the truth of the matter is this. When you looked around the room just a few minutes ago, you didn't know people that were sitting five feet from you. So we can say that we're connected globally, but locally, very intimately, 
we lack a deep sense of connection that our bodies are actually wired for. See, Jesus modeled for us a global impact. He modeled for us a global impact, but how did he model it? He modeled it by spending time with just a few. He modeled it by pouring himself out into just a few very intimate relationships. And the chain reaction starts from there. He poured himself out into others so that others could go out and pour themselves out. And that's how the global impact takes effect. See, Jesus went beyond the surface with his disciples, and it should be the same for us. We should be choosing to go beyond the surface with people, and we should invite people into the difficult spaces in our lives as well. Once we build a good connection with somebody, we should start opening up about our dreams and our fears and our insecurities and, and our, our, our mistakes and our hopes and aspirations for, for the future. We should do that. See, when we have all of you connect on a Sunday morning when Pastor Jesse's up here and asking you to share pictures of your vacation, our hope and our prayer, all we're doing in that moment is creating an environment for you to connect. But our hope is that in that moment, you will start to build a relationship and that, that little conversation, hopefully it turns into brunch. And maybe that conversation and that brunch will then turn into a dinner at someone's house and that dinner will turn into a deep, lifelong friendship where iron can sharpen iron and, and you can pour yourself out into somebody else and they can pour themselves out into you. Now this takes time. It takes time for us to do this and it takes wisdom as well. It takes time and wisdom to build deep, meaningful relationships. And I know that and I, and I understand that. See, Jesus had lots of followers, but he had 12 disciples. And even within those 12, he had three that were very close to him, Peter, James, and John. He spent some extra time with these guys. And these guys got some uh, extra experiences and these different uh, amazing things that they got to see that nobody else got to see. In Mark 5, we see that Jesus uh, invites the, the, the three of them, uh, Peter, James, and John, to go with him as he raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. That's an amazing experience, and the three of them got to see that. And then later on in Mark 9, we see that Jesus invites these same three for the mountaintop experience. And both times, after both of these amazing miracles and amazing experiences, both times Jesus looks at these three disciples and he says to them, don't tell anyone what you've seen here. Don't tell anybody what you've seen here because it was a special experience. It was, it was intimate. He was allowing them to experience something that not everybody got to experience. And we should be doing the exact same thing. We should be allowing a few intimate people into different parts of our lives, and it takes time for us to do this. Now, I'm not saying Jesus had favorites, but he definitely intentionally poured his life into the right relationships. And this is where we see the chain reaction begin, because Jesus is pouring his life out into all of his disciples, maybe a bit more into these three, and when Jesus ascends to heaven, he leaves Peter, one of these three, in charge. And he says, Peter, take, take the church, run with it. And the disciples continued to do what they had seen Jesus model for them. They poured their lives out into other people, and the chain reaction just continued. They poured into others, those others poured into others, and so on. 
Pastor Chris Harrell, he poured his life into my life. And the reason why was because decades before that, a man named Dr. Sam Huddleston had poured his life into Chris Harrell. Chris Harrell was a, was a, a troubled kid making all kinds of dumb decisions with his life. But Dr. Sam Huddleston chose to go after this kid, to step into his world and to invest his life into Chris Harrell. And Chris Harrell continued the chain reaction. He poured his life into my life. I was a dumb kid making some dumb decisions. Pastor Chris invited me in to a relationship with him where he modeled for me what it meant to follow Jesus. And I have done my best to do the exact same throughout my ministry career. And even if I wasn't in ministry, this is exactly what it is that God has called me to do. So I will continue to do it no matter what my vocation is. But I make myself available to those who are in my life. My staff knows that if they have questions, concerns, they text me, they call me, I do my best to make myself available. There was a, a gentleman that uh, I had the opportunity of, of pouring my life into. He doesn't like when I tell this story, so I'm not going to use his real name. We're going to call him Nick. He's embarrassed by it. One day he's going to have to get over it. But his name, we're going to call him Nick. And when I was serving another church before I was here at Grace, uh, I met Nick. Nick was attending the church with his family, and he was working a, a blue-collar labor job. And he, he enjoyed his job, but his heart and his passion was to do ministry. And he continued to feel like, I don't know how to do this. I'm not trained to do this. I'm not qualified to do this. I don't know how I could ever do this. And God just kind of mended our hearts together, and so I did my best to pour in to, to, to Nick. I'm going to slip up and like just accidentally say his name, but I did my best to pour into Nick. And we built a strong relationship, and our families built a strong connection and relationship. And every time my phone rang, rang I would answer it. Every time his kids were going through something, I, I was there. Anything that was going on, I would be there. And I ended up having a conversation with him one day, and he told me, he's like, you know, I want to do ministry, but I don't, I don't even have a GED or a high school diploma. And I'm like, man, let's, let's get practical. Let's do that. And so I actually helped him get his GED. And when I left that church, when I left that ministry position a few years later, I actually recommended that Nick take my place. And to this day, Nick is actually pastoring at that church. Now, I want to be really clear about something. I don't share that story to boast in any way, shape, or form. I am a broken vessel that God has chosen to use, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. I brought nothing to the table. I was simply doing exactly what it is that God had called me to do. But I want us to understand something. I want us to understand that Nick likely wouldn't be in ministry if it wasn't for Dr. Sam Huddleston doing the mission that God had called him to do and being faithful to the mission of going out and making disciples. I was just one link in a chain reaction of discipleship. And now Nick is doing ministry because Dr. Sam Huddleston listened to the leading of the Holy Spirit, poured into Chris Harrell, who poured into me, who I got the opportunity to pour myself out into. I want us to understand something, that, that the, the link in the chain of this chain reaction discipleship that we're talking about, you never know where you are on that chain. You never know what God has for you and how you yourself are going to impact somebody else or the way that God wants to use somebody in this room to impact you and to change your life. We must go beyond the surface. And when we do this, when we go beyond the surface, we are taking a risk. We're taking a risk. 
There is no question about it that when we become vulnerable, when we open ourselves up, when we decide to share with somebody our struggles, our hurts, our dreams, we're taking a risk. That person can hurt us. That person can deceive us. Even Jesus himself, the son of the living God, had a Judas. Why would we think that we're any different? Each and every one of us, if you have not been burned by somebody, you're gonna. (laughs) And the good news is this, it happened to Jesus. You're like, I come to church to hear good news. The good news, Jesus got burned. So you're in good company. We're taking a risk when we put ourselves out there and decide to either pour ourselves out into somebody or to allow somebody to pour their lives into ours. 13 years ago, my wife and I took a risk. 13 years ago, Grace Church was actually meeting right next door in the gym where the, where the elementary room and the student building are now. That's where Grace Church was meeting. And my wife and I, I was, I was in between ministry positions and we found ourselves here. And we sat in there and the pastor at the time was encouraging us, join a connect group, join a connect group. It's gonna be amazing, you're gonna make friends. My wife and I didn't know anybody. We knew uh, Pastor Scott Laughlin and I think that was it at the time, a couple other people. And we decided, you know what, we're going to take the risk. So we signed up for a connect group, a young married connect group. And we, we showed up at the house. It wasn't too far from here. We sat out in front and we watched all these couples go inside. We're like, we're, we bet they're all friends with each other and like we're the oddballs out. But we decided, no, you know what, like we're going to go inside and like we're going to do this. We're going to take the risk. And we did. We took the risk. It was awkward at first. We got to know people, but over the semester of spending time with these people, we started to open up, and they started to open up with us. And 13 years later, there's still three couples from that group that we're still friends with to this day. And, and over the years, we've been able to, to, um, to, to grow from that relationship. We've been able to pour into them. One of the couples is actually, they were a missionary couple for a while. We were able to financially support them. God has done amazing things. Another one of the couples was um, Hector and Melissa. Uh, he was, Hector was a, um, he was an elder here prior to them moving out of the country. But God did some amazing work over those 13 years. Who, who would have thought that God would have brought my wife and I back for, full circle from attending the church in between ministry positions to then talking with Hector and, and some of the other elders about, about joining the team here at Grace. God can do amazing things, and I want to encourage you. I know that it can be uncomfortable. I know that it can be scary. But I want to encourage you to take the risk. Step outside of your comfort zone. Join a ministry team. Join a connect group. Look around again. Go ahead. Take a second. Look around. I want you to look around. It's awkward, right? And it's awkward because you don't know each other. But if you knew each other well, it's like, hey, good to see you. All right. I want to encourage you today even, as we close here in just a minute, I want to encourage you, find somebody in this room. Invite them out to coffee. Invite them out to brunch. Whatever your level of comfort is, tell them to wear a mask. I don't care. Whatever you want to do. Step out of your comfort zone and invest in the relationships, invest in relationships of the people who are in this room. Allow God, allow God to lead you. Allow God to use the relationships with people that you may never thought you'd have any sort of connection with. Allow God to use those relationships to shape you and to use you. Allow somebody in this room to pour into you. Pour yourself out into somebody and allow 
those relationships to continue to build you into the disciple that God has called you to be. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for, God, just the challenge. Lord, you challenge me even now as I look across this room and there's faces that I don't recognize, God. I pray, Lord, that that we would take this challenge to heart, that we would not just uh, hear an encouraging word and leave, God, but we would actually step out of our comfort zone and that we would actually step in to the lives of those around us, God that we go beyond the surface, that we would take that risk, Father. I know that you've got amazing things and amazing plans for so many in this room. God, there are mature believers in this room who have got a lot of knowledge and experience tied up in their hearts. And I pray right now, Lord, that you would lead them and guide them to somebody that they can pour their life into. God, and for those of us who are maybe new at this faith thing and new at following you, God, I pray that we would take advantage of this and that we would lean in to relationships with people in this very room and learn what it means to become more like you, Jesus. God, we love you and we thank you. In your name I pray, amen.